Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. Today, the second part of a lesson we began two weeks ago today, and uh, it is entitled, The Power of the Holy Spirit. The Power of the Holy Spirit. How many believe that there's power in the Spirit of God? We know that the Spirit of the Lord takes different forms, different ways that it is manifested. And uh, in the Bible, we find all of those different manifestations, everything from uh, God moving on someone with the spirit of prophecy to prophesy to the spirit of the Lord moved upon the face of the waters in creation. And God began his creative work. But the manifesting or the uh, particular form of the Spirit, God's Spirit, that we are talking about today is the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit that can come into the life of an individual. You can actually have a small, minuscule, very Uh, very tiny compared to the rest of it, that is, portion of the Spirit of God actually come on the inside of you and set up residence. It's when God comes to live and dwell within you. And it's a wonderful, marvelous thing. In fact, I don't uh, know of a way to properly express it and to talk about it and do diligence to it. It's just beyond our comprehension. It's beyond the words, the vocabulary that we have. Even the smartest person on earth, I believe, would be uh, uh, come up short in trying to fully describe and talk about all of the blessings and all of the good things and, and everything there is to receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. But I'm glad we can do that, aren't you? I'm glad we can have the presence of the Lord in our lives. And last time we talked about the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, let me just start off again by reminding you the Bible uses different phraseology, different wording to talk about this subject. It, It all means the same thing. The presence of God, the Spirit of God. Sometimes it just says the Spirit. That word by itself with a capital S, Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, Spirit of Christ. These are all different ways that the Bible uses to describe receiving the Holy Ghost. And so keep that in mind. Now, today we're going to talk about actually uh, how to do that, how to have the Holy Spirit come and live on the inside of our vessel. The Apostle Paul said it this way. He said, we have this treasure, talking about the Holy Ghost, in earthen vessels. He's talking about the fact that God's Spirit comes to live inside of our body. And the reason for that is that our body also houses our spirit. And when you receive the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit comes into your body where your spirit is and 
indwells that or mixes and mingles with your spirit. Uh, I kind of like to use this illustration. If you look up here, my two hands with fingers outspread coming together like that. In fact, everybody, let's do this together. Take your fingers, spread your fingers apart, and then bring your hands together, intertwining your fingers, and then close both of your hands to form one single fist. That's what happens when you get the Holy Ghost. God's Spirit invades. Uh, I don't know if that's really a correct word, but uh, inhabits your spirit. And because your spirit is dwelling in your body, giving you life, that's why Paul said our body is the temple or house or dwelling place of the Holy Ghost. So, first of all, let's talk about where we begin when we want to have the Holy Ghost inside of us. It begins with a little five-letter word called faith. Everybody say that, faith. So, it takes faith uh, on the part of anybody that wants to have the Holy Ghost in your life. And when we read the Scriptures in the New Testament, we find that that was true there as well, that faith was the determining factor every time the Holy Ghost was poured out upon anybody, whether it was at the very first on the day of Pentecost with the original 120 people that were in the upper room. That was uh, the place where the Holy Ghost was first poured out there in the upper room or whether it was uh, just two people uh, like out in the desert where the Ethiopian eunuch was being instructed by the uh, evangelist Philip. Whenever it happened, uh, whenever you are in need of God's spirit, uh, it is going to come through faith in your heart. Now, the Bible says that God has given to every man, meaning every human being, the measure of faith, the measure of faith, enough faith to be saved. Don't let anybody tell you that they don't have enough faith in God to believe God for salvation because they do. And the reason I know they do is because the Bible says they do. If they tell you they don't or if, if someone believes that they don't have that much faith, they, they don't have enough faith to believe in God, then they are deceived. They have been tricked by the enemy into believing that lie. Uh, let me just stop at this moment and say, I hate the devil. And one of the reasons as uh, life goes on and the longer I'm in this, and the more I minister uh, for the kingdom of God, the more I work with people, uh, especially people who need to be saved, the more I realize how often the devil uses his tricks, his wiles, uh, his subtlety, uh, his deceit to deceive people. And basically, in a nutshell, the basic definition of what's going on right there is the devil feeds somebody a lie, they buy into it, and believe it. That's what happens when someone is deceived by the enemy. And the devil will deceive everybody that he can to try to keep anybody and everybody possible from receiving what 
they need or want to receive from the Lord. And the more the devil can succeed at keeping you and I or whoever we may know from receiving things from God, then the more he feels like the devil feels like he's done his job because that's his goal is to keep you and I away from God and from receiving the good things that God gives us. So it comes from faith. Faith begins in the heart when God puts it there. And then Paul said in Romans 10 and verse 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. So as we focus our faith on God's word, that little measure of faith that we start out with that God gives every human being begins to grow. That faith within us begins to multiply because of being exposed to the word of God. There's just something about it. God set this whole thing up this way to where when you are exposed to God's word, when you hear God's voice, whether it's through reading the Bible or a preacher or somebody sings it in a song, your faith has the opportunity to grow and to multiply. So uh, our primary obligation as a child of God, as a Christian, is not uh, to uh, learn about religion, but it's to learn about the Word of God. For the Word of God is what saves us. Amen? We go back to uh, the ministry of John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus. He was... Uh, proclaiming the ministry of the Holy Spirit that was to come. Uh, in fact, if you look at all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, now I'm not going to uh, have them up on the screen, but all four of the Gospels talk about John the Baptist prophesying concerning the coming of the Holy Ghost, the coming of the Comforter. In Matthew, he said, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. In Mark, he said, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. In Luke, he said, one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I'm not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And then in the Gospel of John, it says, he said, upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same as he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. I think that's interesting, don't you, that all four of the four Gospels quote John the Baptist proclaiming the coming of the Holy Ghost. And in all four of these instances, I want you to notice something else. The emphasis is on the giver, not the receiver. I think sometimes we, uh, we err. We, we kind of go down the wrong path with our thinking uh, maybe even in trying to help someone receive the Holy Ghost and and teach them how to do that or talk about, explain that. I think we we get off the main thing when we focus on the receiving of the Holy Ghost instead of the one who is the giver of the Holy Ghost. So uh, if you're trying to help someone receive the Holy Ghost, help them to concentrate not just on receiving the Holy Ghost, but on who's giving it to them. The great God of this universe is wanting to come and live on the inside of them. The baptizer, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Amen. So the first step to receiving the Holy Ghost is 
through faith, believing. Believing. We have to first mentally realize with our brain, with our thought life, that the Holy Ghost is for us today. Uh, you will encounter people that are coming from all kinds of backgrounds and, and thinking and uh, schools of thought. Uh, I, I've run into some people before that uh, I was teaching Bible studies or talking about the Holy Ghost, uh, some people who, I mean, some really, really weird ideas, and I know some of you have too, just crazy things that the enemy has succeeded in spreading that's out there. So you have to bring someone, first of all, to home base when you're working with someone and talking to them about receiving the gift of God's Spirit, you have to establish in them, first of all, that God wants to give it to them. God wants every person, whosoever will, to receive the gift of His Spirit into their life. Uh, you have to sometimes dispel the idea that the Holy Ghost was just for a certain time period, for a certain group of Christians. Uh, the main one that I hear is uh, folks, and there are even preachers in denominational churches that teach and preach this, that the Holy Ghost was just for the believers back in the days of the apostle, in the days of the New Testament church, that the Holy Ghost was just for them to get this whole thing started, to get the church ball rolling, so to speak. But that is not true. We still live in the dispensation of the Holy Ghost. Uh, and to those who will knock, the door is still open. Those who still seek will find. Uh, because the one who baptizes with his spirit and did it for the first time on the day of Pentecost is still baptizing people with the Holy Ghost today. Amen. It was Jesus himself that told us you've got to believe that that's the first step, that's the key. Let's look at John 7 and 37. Uh, he said, in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying. Now, we're going to dissect these next couple of verses and take a little time to do it. First of all, he said, if any man thirst. So, first of all, it's for anybody and everybody. He said, if any man thirst. So, he gets that out of the way right here at the beginning. This is Jesus on the great day of the feast. That's when the city was full of people, and he begins to talk to them about the Holy Ghost. He said, if any man thirst, you have to thirst for it. Spiritual thirst, of course, is what he's talking about. You have to want it. You have to want it more uh, than you want anything else in this life. That's what you should tell people who are candidates for receiving the Holy Ghost. You have to have a desire. If you don't have a desire for it, ask God to give you the desire to the point that you want it more than you want anything else. Then you want, let me tell you something, if you want the Holy Ghost so bad that you want it more than you want the next breath that's got to come in your body to sustain your life, then you're going to get it. You're going to get the Holy Ghost when you want it that badly. If any man thirst, let him come unto me. You've got to come to the Lord. You've got to come to the only giver of his spirit. And do what? 
drink. You heard the old saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. You can pray with somebody in the altar or wherever it might be to receive the Holy Ghost. You can instruct them and pray with them, and the Holy Ghost can be all over them. But if they won't drink, then they're going to miss out on it. What do you mean by drink, Pastor? Well, I mean you've got to receive it. You've got to let the Lord come in. You've got to completely, tell them this, completely, totally surrender to God. Everything, every thought, every word, every deed, every desire, every emotion, every plan, every hope, every dream, you give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ 100%. And you'll get the Holy Ghost. Put up verse 38. He that believeth on me. Okay, you got to believe. You've got to believe. You've got to believe that it's for you. You've got to believe that God wants to give it to you. You've got to believe that God meant what he said when he said he is no respecter of persons. Uh, if God uh, had favorites regarding giving the Holy Ghost to people, then that verse would be a lie. We know that the Word of God is true, every word in it, every bit of it. So God is no respecter of persons, and He will give the Holy Ghost to anybody that asks, that believes. And if you do that, what does it say? Out of His belly shall flow rivers of living water. Praise God. And the next, next verse says, there's no confusion about what he was talking about. It was receiving the Holy Ghost. This spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. In other words, uh, John here enters a parenthetical statement. It's in parentheses and says, he's talking about the Holy Ghost. Hadn't happened yet because Jesus was still on the earth. That's what it means by Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus had to ascend back to heaven before the Holy Ghost could be poured out. And so that's what John is referring to here. Uh, Acts chapter 2, we're well familiar with verse 38, but look at what verse 39 tells us. The promise is unto you, to your children, to those that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. I'm sure the devil has taken that one phrase in that verse and used it to tell somebody the lie. Well, God hadn't called you to receive it. That's a lie. It says it's for you, your children, those that are far off. Pretty well makes it clear here that the Holy Ghost is for everybody. Amen. So uh, you've got to tell someone if they want to receive the Holy Ghost that they cannot come to the point of trying to receive it with doubt. They cannot come with any kind of uh, hesitancy that God wants them to have it and to have this experience. Uh, so faith is the first step. You've got to believe that it's for you. Faith is, in fact, the Bible tells us faith is necessary to receive anything from God. Put up James chapter 1 and verse 6. But let him ask in faith nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. Let not that man who, somebody that's wavering, 
think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. It is apparent in this verse of Scripture that it is necessary for us to believe God will do what he said he'd do without wavering, without doubt. Some people are double-minded, though. They vacillate back and forth. They alternate between believing and not believing, between their faith and their fears and doubts. So uh, such a person is not going to receive the Holy Ghost because one minute they believe the promise is for them, and the next minute they're like the tide which comes in, but then it always goes back out into the ocean of doubt. Faith is the currency of the kingdom of God. It's the money that you spend, so to speak, in God's kingdom. With faith, you can buy anything that God has for you. And without it, you can buy nothing. Put up Hebrews 11 and 1. Let's read it in the Amplified Version. Now, faith is the assurance, the confirmation, the title deed of the things we hope for, being the proof of things we do not see and the conviction of their reality, faith perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. In other words, Paul here says that faith is the only evidence that you have when you're believing something for God that you have not received yet. Faith is the money that you spend to receive that from God. Faith is that belief in your heart that God's going to do it. It is the only proof that you have that God is going to give it to you. It is the conviction that what you are asking and hoping for from God uh, is going to make it a reality when your senses don't see it or feel it or touch it or taste it. That's what faith is. Praise God. So the first thing you have to do is have faith. Second thing, receive the Holy Ghost, is to repent. Repent. And uh, let me start off talking about this by just giving you one of uh, my concerns. This is a concern that has been growing within me for years. And that is this, that I fear we have sometimes and do try to pray somebody through to the Holy Ghost when their heart isn't ready for that because they haven't fully repented. Now, can someone walk through the doors of this church on any given Sunday or into any given church service that's in progress and hear the word and in that service make a start for the Lord and receive the Holy Ghost the first time they ever come to church. Yes, I've seen that happen. When that happens, that person has already had their heart prepared somehow. And they have either been repenting or at some point in that service, even it may even be when they get to the altar, uh, that it finally completely takes place. They repent. 
But a person cannot receive the Holy Ghost uh, without fully repenting in their heart. Now, uh, so, so what I'm saying is just believing that you can receive the Holy Ghost isn't enough. The first ministry word of John the Baptist, according to Matthew 3, was repent. The first ministry word of Jesus, according to Matthew 4, was repent. The first ministry word of Peter on the day of Pentecost was repent. So it is futile. Uh, it is really uh, not uh, something that, that really works for someone to try to receive the Holy Ghost without first repenting of their sin. Now, you say, well, Brother Edwards, what about that person that comes in, they get the Holy Ghost that first time they come to church, they've never been taught a Bible study. Uh, only God sees the heart. In fact, this was one of my later revelations in life. Uh, the Bible says we can't know our own heart. The Bible says the heart is wicked above all things. Who can know it? We can't know our own heart. How on earth do we believe? How on earth? Where do we get the boldness to think we can see inside somebody else's heart and know what's in there. We can't. We may see them do things and say things and, and see the actions that take place on the outside. And I know Jesus said you'll know them by their fruits. What we do and say on the outside is a reflection of what's on the inside. But we still can't know other people's heart and what's in there. Only God can. So... God sees what's in a person's heart, and, and, and I've seen this happen. Can't get the Holy Ghost without faith. Can't get the Holy Ghost without repenting. Uh, you can have someone come into an apostolic service and uh, be convicted of their sin, and at that moment, repent Find an altar of repentance and receive the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues. And it's almost as though God gives them the Holy Ghost on credit. If you think about where I'm coming from, God gives the Holy Ghost uh, because at that moment, that person is truly repented. And their desire is to serve God, to love God with all their heart. I've seen people like that get up, walk out, and you never see them again. And they don't go to another church. They just don't come back, don't go back to church anywhere, continue to live a life of sin away from God. You, you say, well, didn't God know that was going to happen? Sure he did then why did God bother to give them the Holy Ghost at that moment in that service? Because, again, only God can see their heart. And I believe at that moment, at that, at that particular uh, point in that person's life, they were repented. They had repented. And God 
God's not going to withhold the Holy Ghost from someone who wants it and who has repented and who believes for it. So, um, we must repent. You've got to repent. Uh, the eighth chapter of the book of Acts gives us an interesting story about a man named Simon who was a sorcerer, and uh, he saw these folks uh, that were receiving the Holy Ghost. Peter and John came down to the city, and uh, Philip had already preached there and uh, had baptized them in Jesus' name, but nobody had received the Holy Ghost. And so I guess they sent word to Peter and John. They came down. They began to preach. People began to receive the Holy Ghost. And uh, Simon the sorcerer saw what was happening, and he particularly saw people, when they get the Holy Ghost, they would speak in tongues. They would speak in a language that they didn't know, had never learned. And uh, he went to Peter and said, give me this. I want that. He was a sorcerer, a magician. He wanted, he said, give me this gift. In fact, he offered them money. And that was a sure sign right there to Peter that the man had the wrong motives. He hadn't fully repented. The Bible never says he would receive the Holy Ghost. doesn't say Simon had received the Holy Ghost. He said, give me this gift that when I lay my hands on someone, they will talk in tongues too or receive the Holy Ghost. And, of course, Peter rebuked him very, very sternly. The word repent, but Simon had not repented. The word repent simply means to quit sinning. Not just be sorry for your sins. It does include that. But it means being sorry enough to stop doing them. That is true repentance. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 1, Having therefore these promises clearly beloved, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Of God, cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. That means the inside and the outside. Now, there are those who, now the devil will use whatever he thinks will work on people. And so, there are those who he has convinced them that they are too vile and too uh, sinful to ever be received by God through uh, their repenting. The devil tells them, you've gone too far. God won't take you back. God doesn't want you. You've done too much. Wrong. And to those people, Jesus says, him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Uh, for someone, now again, they're deceived because they've believed a lie from hell, from the devil. But someone who's in that boat, uh, for someone to say that they're or think that they're not good enough to receive the Holy Ghost, that's like saying you're too sick to go to a doctor. Think about it. The, the obvious implication is if you're sick, you go to the doctor. So if someone gets to the point where they think, well, I'm too sick to go to the doctor, then their thinking is all messed up, isn't it? Same is true when someone begins to believe the lie that, God doesn't want them, that they're 
too bad or have done too much wrong for God to give them the Holy Ghost. Not true. So you need to counsel people who need the Holy Ghost and who are moving towards that, uh, that the Word of God uh, can bring conviction to them and, and help them to understand what they've got to do in their life, to ch- what they've got to change before the Holy Ghost comes. But the Holy Ghost, uh, it's really neat the way this works. The way, isn't God neat? God is so awesome. It's really, to me, amazing that it works this way. The Holy Ghost uh, really does two different things in the life of a person. First of all, he empties that person's soul of sin and self and all of that, and then he fills that soul with uh, his spirit, and that's just an amazing thing to me. It was uh, Dwight Moody. Uh, who we have to take our hat off to for saying this, quote, we would not have to wait long for this endowment of the Spirit if we did not have to come to the end of ourselves. And that's what has to happen, basically, for someone to receive the Holy Ghost. And for some people, it takes just a short amount of time. They do it quickly and easily. But others... It just seems to be a long road, a long haul to get to that point where they come to the end of themselves, uh, where they get repented, where they get to the point where they get rid of all vanity or conceit and, and other things that are stopping, that would stop the flow of God's Spirit into their vessel. Amen. So there's faith. And there's repentance, and then we come to uh, the actual receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, and that happens when we pray and when we worship, when we pray and when we worship. That's when it actually happens. The Holy Ghost comes in. Put up Acts 1 and 14. This was in the beginning. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. The disciples that were out Uh, outside the city when Jesus ascended back into heaven. He made his last farewell speech, and uh, he ascended up into the clouds and disappeared. Uh, He said, go back into the city and wait for the promise of the Father, which I will send you. And they went back, and they spent time in prayer and supplication. Uh, Let's read another version of that same event in the last part of Luke, Luke 24, verse 52. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. So they were waiting for the Holy Ghost. So here is the biblical pattern, the biblical recipe for receiving the Holy Ghost. If Someone hasn't received it yet. It's faith, repentance, then prayer, and worship. Amen. Uh, I love the scripture where Jesus himself said that those who thunger, hunger and thirst after righteousness will be filled. You cannot hunger and thirst for God without him filling you uh, any more than the sun can keep from coming up tomorrow morning. 
So uh, we give ourselves to the Lord through our faith, through repentance, and then we pray and we worship and we tarry. Now, tarry, T-A-R-R-Y, not, not Terry Pryor, our sound man, but that's T-E-R-R-Y. The word tarry means to wait, okay, T-A-R-R-Y. Uh, in some apostolic circles, in fact, I've heard it preached before, uh, the word tarry is a bad word, but it's really not. If we look at the Scriptures, uh, we do tarry to receive the Holy Ghost. Now, you don't have to tarry long. Uh, I, I'm not saying that you have to wait or tarry for any certain given length of time in order to receive it. Uh, some people get the Holy Ghost as soon as they hit the altar or, or back at their seat, as soon as they open their mouth and begin to praise God. What I mean by tarry is, and some people have to wait longer and tarry longer, is simply due to the fact that it takes some people longer to die than others, to die out to our sin. Jesus said, tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem. This is Luke 24, 49. Tarry in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. And he specifically relates that command or attaches it to the promise of the Holy Ghost. He said, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until it comes. So the word tarry, as used here, means to sit down for a purpose, not to remain for a time. Tarry by the promise of God for the purpose of God until God meets you there and fills you with himself. God always makes good on his promise. So if you're working with someone who wants to receive the Holy Ghost, remove, try to help them, tell them to remove from their mind the misconception that you have to tarry for a certain length of time. But you wait and you tarry for the promise and it will come to you. By the way, did everybody in the Bible speak with tongues when they received the Holy Ghost? They did in my Bible. Don't find anybody in, in my Bible that received the Holy Ghost without speaking in a language that they didn't know or didn't understand. Uh, so when some people ask the question, do I have to speak in tongues? First of all, my reply to them is, well, it's in the book. Okay, that's, that's reason enough. But let's go further than that. What do you mean do you have to? You get to. It is a privilege that, that uh, unites you with the Spirit of God in a very special and supernatural way. It's the one thing that let this young man as just a uh, a boy of 12 years of age, when I received the Holy Ghost, it's the one thing that helped me who had grown up in this, who never attended uh, any other church besides an apostolic Pentecostal church except just a, 
maybe visit when I spent the night with my cousin. I might visit a Baptist church once or twice when I was growing up. But it let this young man know when I spoke in tongues that this thing was for real, that I wasn't making it up, that my parents weren't just teaching me something that they had decided was good, but it really was God because I knew there's no way that I could make myself do that. There's no way that I could make myself talk in a language that I didn't know. That was the one thing. And that's the way God designed tongues. That's, what, that's one of the main purposes. He gave tongues as a sign for receiving the Holy Ghost for. It was to dispel doubt and as a sign that it was a supernatural event coming from God. So, uh, Acts 2 tells us that it happened. There appeared unto them, verse 3, cloven tongues like as a fire it set upon each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues or languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. Acts 10 and 46, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. This was the first Gentile at Cornelius' house that received the Holy Ghost. And then Acts 19 and 6, when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues, and they prophesied. So the Holy Ghost is a promise. It's an act of faith. It comes through repentance. But it is a promise that you know you can have because it says so. It tells you that in God's Word. Uh, Revelation 22 and 17 says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Here at the end of the book of Revelation, at the end of the last book of the Bible, God has John write this last uh invitation, reinforcing it, reminding us of it, that the purpose for the whole thing is for us to be saved so that we can go to be with him forever in eternity. And the way we do that is by drinking from the water of life, receiving the Holy Ghost. Amen. I like what Isaiah said in chapter 28, verse 11, for with stammering lips and another tongue Will he speak to this people? Next verse, to whom he said, This is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest. He's talking about the Holy Ghost. And this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. I remember the night very well that I let Jesus move into my heart by receiving the Holy Ghost. It was at youth camp at a place, uh, a little hill close to the Tennessee River in west central Tennessee. And uh, it was the last night of the camp. And I, I remember that. I'll never forget that night when I received the Holy Ghost. I prayed probably. I tarried for about 30 minutes before I actually received the Holy Ghost. And I don't think that's because uh, I wasn't completely yielded to God or had any unrepented sin in my heart. 
It was another matter, which I haven't spoken. I'll just mention this, that kept me from receiving the Holy Ghost for 30 minutes. And that was, and, and, and a lot of people have this problem, I had to learn how to yield to the Holy Ghost. I had to learn how to receive it. In other words, it's like that Christmas present under the Christmas tree on Christmas morning. Somebody gave you a gift, and it may be the one thing you've been waiting for all your life long. And you get up, you go in there, and gifts are being exchanged, and that gift, the person that gave it to you, isn't there. So uh, they're your gift that they gave you is sitting under the tree. And uh, if you just sit there and stare at it, you can stare at that present, that gift that's yours. It's already been given. You can sit there and stare at it all day, and you'll never get the benefits of it until you get up, go over there, and pick it up, unwrap it, and say, it's mine. In other words, you have to receive it. You see how a gift can be given and yet it's not yet received? The same is true with the Holy Ghost. God's already given the Holy Ghost. You just have to, for you as an individual, do the things necessary to receive it. Amen. Musicians, why don't you go ahead and come on. I love the promises of God. And the Bible is full of them. Somebody counted them one time. I think there's over 2,000 promises in the Bible. But I think, this is just my opinion, the greatest of all of God's promises is the promise of the Holy Ghost. The promise that He will come to live inside of you. Praise God. How many want it? I still get the Holy Ghost. Try to every day in fact my goal brother Wright is to be full of it at all times and I, I, I don't want to get full of it and then say okay God turn the spigot off turn the faucet off I'm full I'll just go with this for a while no because I also want to be continually letting it pour out of me into the lives of others and so for that reason, I want to be continually be receiving it every day, every day, every day. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Lord, we love you today. We thank you for your presence that we feel. What a great thing it is to know that you can come and take up residence inside of us. Wow, what a marvelous thing. Lord, I... It's something that I can't even fully wrap my head around or fully comprehend or understand. But, God, I've experienced it, and I know that it's the greatest thing that could ever happen to a human being in this life on this planet Earth. Lord, I pray that every person under the sound of my voice, whether in this room or watching online, every person that's going to be here this afternoon in the worship service, Everybody that I've ever known, ever will know, ever meet, every stranger I'll ever catch sight of. Everybody, everybody, it's my prayer that they all would receive this precious gift of your spirit. That you bled and died 
so that you could give to us the gift of yourself. We thank you for it today. We praise you for it in Jesus' name. Somebody said amen. Amen. God bless you today. We're going to conclude the Sunday school hour at this time. Turn the lights down and let's pray and ask God to be with us today in our 2 o'clock service. Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. Calvary Church is located at 406 North 44th Street in Mount Vernon, Illinois. Service times are Sunday school at 1 p.m. every Sunday, except the last Sunday of each month, and worship service at 2 p.m. Also, we have an all-church service at 6.30 p.m. on Wednesday. Calvary Church is affiliated with the United Pentecostal Church International. Thank you, and have a blessed day.